Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. I feel like Don Draper, Connor, because I have come up with, well, maybe I didn't come up with it, but I heard somebody else mention it. So Don Draper probably stole some ideas, too. It's an advertising slogan. It's an advertising slogan for CNN. Oh. It's really, and I'll I'll tell you about it in a second. But first. I'm excited. Yeah. Let me just kind of give you the overview. We are here to talk about a couple of different things. One, the Sarah Palin defamation trial in New York, which was recently concluded in the favor of the New York Times. But. The judge proved to be a complete moron, <laughs> a total idiot, and I think I can back that up. Too many lawyers now, too many judges. Absolutely. The name of the pop. Too many lawyers, too many judges. We're calling them all out. So we're going to explain why he is out of his mind. In addition to that, we're going to talk about guns in several different ways. It's the lot, gun show. Yeah, a lot of guns issues have been in the, the news recently. First, should shooting victims be able to sue gun makers. And the courts are saying, oh, yeah, kind of, sort of. We're going to talk about whether that's a good idea. Also on the gun front, should parents go to prison when their kids kill with guns? And finally, we're going to talk about whether cities have the right to attach strings to gun ownership. And of course, as always, we will conclude the podcast with America's favorite game show, Guess the Verdict, where I give the facts of a real-life case, and Connor gets to guess the outcome. Can't wait. And if he's right, he gets a, a reward in the form of a very loud bell, just like that. Love it. Yeah. So that's that's what we're going to do at the end of the podcast. So uh, before we get to... Um, to uh, the big issues about guns and Sarah Palin. Uh, we got some uh, digs to take at CNN. Yeah, I, I have this idea that I stole from somebody. I don't remember who, so I'm just going to kind of claim it for myself. Sure. A new idea for a CNN slogan. You know, they call themselves CNN, the most trusted name in news, yeah, right? Yeah, that's nice. So, well, yeah, but after Andrew Cuomo ah. was fired, um, and after Jeffrey Tubin had that awkward, embarrassing thing on the Zoom oh, call yeah. a few months ago. It's pretty bad. He was guilty of Tubin. Uh, and then Zucker is fired. Sure. Then there was a producer who allegedly is a pedophile and went online and, and arranged with some moms who were desperate for money to uh, have relations with their... Their God. Yeah, their uh, daughter, her daughters, the daughters. Okay, in light of all that, here's the new slogan for CNN. Okay. CNN, the most busted name in news. Ah, what do you busted. Think? What Criminal do you think? busted, yes. Uh, not bad, not bad. I, I think... I would say that uh, the the network of uh, of Roger Ailes uh, and and his ilk uh, might 
you know, fight for that title, but it does go well with their slogan. Yeah, I think CNN's had some set. Even the kind of left-wing mainstream media has been sort of beaten up on CNN and all their troubles in recent months. Yeah, a lot of people take issue with CNN for a lot of different reasons. Um, I would say that CNN falls into a lot of the same traps that that Fox falls into. Uh, They uh, over-editorialize criminal law. They fall into the same uh, sort of manufacturing consent uh, issues about uh, just ba- basically repackaging, uh, repackaging, and republishing, um, you know, U.S. government propaganda effectively. But you know, all the major news organizations do this. All of them are, are obsessed with uh, just relaying the account, uh, the accounts of police officers, relaying the accounts of CIA and FBI spokespeople, uh, and just sort of taking everybody from the government at face face value um, when they should be, you know, applying a really critical lens to uh, to the actions of government. Are you and saying you're unhappy say, because they're not progressive enough? Yeah, exactly. And so you know, they they, they get uh, fire from the left and from the right. I mean, they they don't they don't have anywhere safe to stand uh, because on the one side, they've got the conservatives calling them fake news now. Um, meanwhile, they're carrying water. They've been doing for, that for a while. They have. They've been carrying water for capitalist, you know, interest and, and pro-imperialist uh, military expansion all over the globe for decades. And they're getting no credit for it. It's very, actually very unfair. The conservatives <laughs> are so cruel to them. I I don't know. They, they, got, uh, they got no safe spaces. And the other show, other issue I wanted to chat about before we get to uh, Sarah Palin's judge is the the Trump situation in um, in New York. The Attorney General uh, of New York, Letitia has James, a, yeah, she has a civil fraud investigation against Trump and his a family singular. <laughs> yeah, I, there are probably multiple uh, inquiries. Uh, so the substantive issue there is is whether Trump and his family members should be required to comply with subpoenas right. and give depositions. And in in last few days, uh, the uh, the judge has ruled in favor of the attorney general. No surprise yeah. there. You know, there's really no valid basis for Trump and the family to refuse to cooperate. Who knows what what they'll find? But, uh, you know, they're, they're now going to have to cooperate. Here's my pet peeve, Connor. The judge handling the civil fraud action by the New York attorney general against Trump and his company in court referred to the fact that Trump being the former president, the judge said, well, he's the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Now, Connor, Ah. this really chaps me. This really ticks me (laughs) off. There is no such thing as an 800-pound gorilla in the room, okay? true. There's an elephant in the room, and there's an 800-pound gorilla. There is not an 800-pound gorilla in the room. You're absolutely right. That doesn't make any sense. What is wrong with this judge? (laughs) I mean, you're right. Well, he, at least, we, at least we agree on that. Yes, exactly. I think uh, at this point you're you're just calling you're just saying Trump is eight hundred pounds. Once you get rid of the <laughs> aphorism, the, the sta- it just it's just rude now. All that McDonald's uh, visitation that's that's going to get the weight up, but I, I think eight hundred might be an exaggeration. All right, uh, as it happens by coincidence, our first big question for the podcast today is whether another judge, also in New York, is similarly. Out of his mind. And here's the background. Sarah Palin, as you know, uh, filed a defamation suit against the New York Times. Uh, it related to the fact that the New York Times ran an editorial a few years ago that contained a couple of inaccuracies. They apologized for it. Uh They suggested that Sarah Palin stirred things up to the point where she actually inspired violence shootings uh, against politicians. So the defamation suit went to court. And, of course, Sarah Palin had 
a real uphill battle because of the absence of malice rule, which mm, is right. that if you want to sue somebody for defaming you, you know, they lied, they hurt your reputation. If you're a public person, if you're a famous celebrity type, you can't just sue. You have to prove that the speaker actually intended to hurt you, intended to lie. Right. M- malice must be shown. Whereas if the plaintiff, the person who was hurt by the defamation is not famous, they don't have to do that. They just have to show that the evidence was the information was false and that they were harmed. Usually they have to prove they were harmed. Uh, but it's different if you're famous. So she had an uphill battle. Yeah, you have less protection if you're famous because people are going to be talking about you more. Right. So what happened is that the judge waited until the evidence was in the books at the trial. Mm -hmm. And while the jury was deliberating, the judge announced to uh, the parties, you know what? I'm taking it away from the jury. I'm taking it out of the hands of the jury because I, the judge, do have the power to determine after all the evidence is in Mm -hmm. that no reasonable jury on the planet Right. Could vote for Sarah Palin. And this is different than granting a uh, motion for summary judgment, for example, where the judge says, well, on legal grounds, uh, as a matter of law, uh, so we don't have to go to a jury to decide facts because facts decide, uh, I mean, juries decide things like who was where and on what date and what did they do and that sort of thing. They they judge the credibility of witnesses and they say, I believe this guy. I don't believe that guy. I believe this story. I don't believe that story. But the judge doesn't do that when there's a jury. The judge only decides matters of law. So if you have a, a, a case where somebody says, Uh, This person battered me, meaning they touched me, a physical unwanted touching. Uh, And uh, part of the lawsuit is I was on the moon and they were on Jupiter and they battered me. Well, they can't touch. You can't touch somebody if you're on different planets. So the judge can say your story doesn't make any sense as a matter of law. They can't have battered you in your story because you didn't even allege that they touched you. Right. So boom, they're out. But here the judge said, no, I'm going to grant a motion to dismiss or the equivalent where I actually talk facts because I say the jury cannot reasonably come back. They cannot do no reasonable set of human beings could come to the conclusion that Sarah Palin wants them to come to, which is a very extreme standard. Right. Sometimes before you get to trial, the facts are so fully developed that a person who wants to get rid of a bad lawsuit may file a motion for summary judgment or motion for judgment on the pleadings or some other fancy technical motion. And what they say in that motion is, hey, judge, I know that normally a person is entitled to have their day in court with a jury who will decide facts, as you suggest. But but you know what? It's so blatant here that the law is on the side of the defendant and there aren't any facts. They've had a chance to present facts in the form of declarations and in opposition to my summary judgment motion. But in fact, they've utterly failed to come up with any facts that that changed the move the needle. Exactly. That moved the needle. So it could be even before the trial that a judge would dismiss it based on looking at both the law and the facts. But in this case, the judge said, okay, all the facts are in the books. And he said, I know the law. You have to show malice to successfully sue a uh, a person uh, for defamation uh, if you're a public person. And he said, and I've heard all the facts, and I'm here to tell you that no sane, rational, reasonable jury could conclude that there was malice that yeah, there was definition. He could have waited for the, the jury to deliberate. And if they came down the wrong way, then he could have stepped in and said, no, actually, I'm overturning this because no set of reasonable humans could come to that conclusion. That's also a, an option. But instead... Instead, what the judge did was something very weird. While the jury was deliberating, he announces the decision. Okay, but then it, does he shut things down? Does he turn off the lights and say, you know, we're done here. We're done here. Return you to your homes. To home, Nothing you more to say here. No, he announced to the world. 
I'm going to let the jury keep deliberating because, you know, if this goes up on appeal and hypothetically, if the Court of Appeals uh, reverses me on my decision, well, it would be interesting to the Court of Appeals to see how the jury came out. Now, that's kind of weird because if, for example, one of the motions we talked about was filed and granted two months before trial, no sane judge would say, you know, I'm confident in my grant of your motion. And so, uh, you know, you win, Mr. Defendant. But just for fun, just to make it interesting, to help the Court of Appeals, I'm going to let the jury trial go forward. We'll get the verdict. And then, you know, one way or the other, the the Court of Appeals can rule. No judge does that. But this judge did because, oh, well, the jury's already deliberating. But here's the kicker, Connor. The judge's decision uh, was went out on social media and the jurors cheated by looking at their iPhones or their Blackberries uh, and they learned that the judge had ruled against Sarah Palin. Tainted completely. I mean, the, the judge's And opinion, then they voted against Sarah Palin yeah, themselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they agreed with the judge. But that's the problem. The judge's voice is the is often in court the word of God. You can't, if, if the judge does something to indicate they're tilted one way or another, they think the case should come out that way, it's very likely that a jury's going to hear that and go that way. They're going to think, well, well, this smart judge knows what he's talking about. So the, the judge just thrown the entire case out if he's effectively said and i'm sure the articles that they cheated and read online explained the legal standard and said the judge says no reasonable set of 12 jurors could come to a certain conclusion what are they gonna do come to that conclusion yeah, exactly. just to get overruled i don't think so and now we come to the punchline the fact that the jury knew how the judge ruled uh was revealed and Mm -hmm. the judge was aware of it. So what did the judge do? Did the judge say, oh, well, this is a little weird and unorthodox what I was trying to do here. So we're going to toss this out. We're just going to go with my ruling. No. He said, well, let me talk to the jurors. So he talked to each of the jurors and he said, now, I understand you folks learned about my decision. Did that influence your uh, decision or would you have come to the same verdict if you hadn't known about what I did? Mr. Judge, Uh, of course not. Of course that would never have affected my decision. I'm a a, a reasonable, responsible human. And and, and, while somebody else in the room may have cheated, I think it wasn't me and I wasn't swayed when they brought it up because I know the rules, Mr. Judge. Totally idiotic. Now, should we be surprised about this? Let's return to my other pet peeve about how biased the the judges are in the nation and how they're political and they rule the way that the people who appointed them want them to rule. Let's talk about this judge. His name is uh, Rakoff, R-A-K-O-F-F, federal judge uh, in... um in New York. Let's uh, let's look at the history. I wonder who he was. App- oh, he was appointed by Bill Clinton. Nice, nice. In nice. 1996. That's really weird. Oh, Famous and, for his good judgment, Bill Clinton. Yeah, and uh, let's see. What has Rakoff done over the years? Oh, he doesn't really like uh, the death penalty. Even though the death penalty is legal in America, he ruled in 2002 that the death penalty was unconstitutional. Hmm. And of course, he was overruled by the Circuit Court of Appeals and the U.S. Supreme Court didn't touch it. So bottom line is, uh, I think we get a, a campaign together for impeaching this judge. I mean, judges are constantly voting. I mean, not voting, but holding things that are then disagreed with and overturned on, on appeal. I, mean, I personally think he's right about the uh, uh, the fact that obviously killing someone is 
worse than say solitary confinement and therefore is cruel and unusual punish unusual punishment uh but whatever sure i mean I, just because we disagree with him terribly uh and then so you're on board the impeachment over, train oh yeah, what yeah you're saying. Sure, that's what i'm saying yeah, 15 sure. judges in american history have been impeached just over the 15? years 15 and it's the same thing as the president uh, uh the standard for the president the house has to vote to impeach or charge then a trial is held by the senate same thing is uh, with the president as we know from the many times that yeah. donald trump was impeached <laughs> So, yeah, that's that's my so that, I, 15 times. This is reserved mainly for murderers, because statistically you have that many judges who happen to also be murderers. Just numerically. well, if you go through the if you go through the it's um, uh, it's not murder. It's oh. things like tax evasion, perjury, <laughs> oh, conspiring to solicit evasion. a bribe, nice. uh, perjury before a federal grand jury, nice. accepting bribes. I'm, see, I'm seeing a theme, a theme. here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Abuse of power. Yeah. Uh, one of the guys had a bunch of cash in his freezer. Uh, that's where the. For I mean, cold cash comes who from. Doesn't? Yeah. <laughs> well, gotta have a plan. But if you're a judge, it's gotta an impeachable offense. Plan B, that's all. When we come back, we are going to talk about three big aspects of the gun controversy the gun in show. America. But first, Connor's going to tell you how to rate and subscribe to Too Many Lawyers. Yeah, check us out on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, look us up on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or whatever else uh, and leave us a comment. Uh, if you're listening to this, you may already be subscribed, but make sure you hit the subscribe button if you're just listening to us for the first time or if checking in every once in a while. You'd much prefer, I'm sure, to get it pushed to your phone or computer every single week. So do that. And uh, please, comments, comments, comments. We love them. Uh, I read them. Uh, I feel feel good and warm fuzzy inside when somebody says they like the pod. And if they hate the pod, then I get to leave a mean, snarky comment in response. And that makes me feel good, too. So it's a win-win. We'll be right back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Roy Oaks. And I'm Connor Ricks. So we're talking guns. Uh, three big questions. Number one, should shooting victims be able to sue gun makers? So let's think about this, Connor. It's a, it's a legal product. A gun. It's legal to sell guns in America. Just we're like, not talking about bazookas. Or just like asbestos and cigarettes. Yeah. Nuclear howitzers. Right. Yeah, right. Subject to some regulation. Yep. You're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's legal. And, and of course, there's no way the gun manufacturers know who might use it illegally. But... People want money, and so let's sue. And guess what? The court said it's okay, and there's just been this week a $75 million settlement approved by the court in a big lawsuit. It's in Connecticut, uh, the Connecticut Supreme Court, uh, seven members, all seven appointed by Democrats. You know, yeah, Connecticut's yeah, kind yeah. of a, a left lefty state. Uh, a couple of years ago, um, in 2019, the uh, a judge allowed Remington, the gun manufacturer, to be sued uh, in spite of a statute uh, giving legal immunity to gun manufacturers. Yes, so and that we, is where we that's where the rubber meets the road is there are these statutes right. that give gun manufacturers immunity from prosecution for no good goddamn reason other than that they have powerful lobbies that protect them. In my opinion, you're right. This is a legal product in the same way that a car is a legal product. But if you, Toyota, put out a car on the road that runs over pedestrians all the time because it doesn't have a backup camera, we can pass laws like in Cal- the one in California mandating a backup camera. And we can pass laws saying that you have to have a beepy sensor when there might be a pedestrian behind. And we can pass laws uh, saying that Remington has to modify their their guns uh, in response to uh, you know killings or modify their, their marketing or business practices. But those are all legal products that are regulated by the government, yep. and those regulations are enforced uh, by the courts. And when the manufacturers are negligent or worse in the way that they market their guns, the way that they sell their guns, the way that they, uh, you know, lobby for 
protection in the courts explicitly so that legislatures say that they can't be sued to circumvent these sorts of regulations and protections. You should have the power of the courts to protect, you know, little Timmy who goes to school or whatever. So, yeah, you can you can have a legal product out there on the shelves, but that doesn't mean just because we care about the Second Amendment and, you know, the, the right to bear arms, which I don't. But if there are people who do, lots of people who do, doesn't mean you can't you shouldn't be able to sue somebody who puts out a gun that shoots too many bullets per second or so has now, too big a large a capacity or they marketed it to teens or whatever. And now we're getting to the nuclear core of this. This is this is the interesting part. The theory on which this suit was allowed to go forward right. and resulted in the 73, $75 million settlement. The theory was they marketed the guns in a way that encouraged violence. Yes. And here are the specific things that the ad said. The Bushmaster AR-15 uh, was uh, advertised with the phrase child shredder. No, uh, not quite, oh, but, okay. but close. Quote, consider your man card reissued. Ugh. Okay. Consider your man card reissued. Ugh. So ugh. that's that's the How many times can I say ugh? That is the slogan yeah. that caused the court to say, well, you know, I think this encourages violence. Another ad showed a rifle along with the phrase, quote, Forces of opposition bow down. You are single-handedly outnumbered. Love it. Forces of opposition. As vague as you can be while still conveying, this is meant to kill people. Is that for deer? Are the deer meant to be the forces of opposition? I don't think so. Here's my take on it. I I think we might disagree a little bit. What? Here's my take. Okay. I don't see how that encourages illegal violence. A gun is most often bought for personal protection. That involves shooting and maybe killing somebody who is a threat to you or your family. Well, you're talking about hunting. I don't know. Maybe more than 50% of all guns are purchased because of hunting and only 30% personal. I would have guessed more than half. I mean, if If you're living in the Bronx, if you're living in Cleveland, I don't think you're going to be shooting Bambi. I think you want to stop burglars. But I think most people who buy guns, if you combine the segment uh, that is uh, for sport, uh, in terms of hunting, and you combine that with the segment for people who just are enthusiasts as about the concept, like to go to shooting ranges or just think they're cool right. and maybe they're historical pieces or this was used in, you know, uh, this is a, a sort of a memento from war, the idea, whatever. These are all, I think, valid reasons why people like them and and, and own them. And well, I think personal probably, protection is also a valid reason. Well, it may statistically yes. be a bad idea because, as more we've discussed, you you're much more often yeah. uh, it's much more often that you're going to shoot Aunt Bertha in the buttocks yes. when she's raiding the refrigerator right. than you, than you are going to shoot a burglar. Right. Statistically, or yourself it's, in the buttocks. It's like lo- winning the lottery. Yes. You're not going to confront a burglar in your bedroom no. any more than you're going to win the lottery. Although it happens. Yes. And people win the lottery and people do shoot criminals in their homes. Yeah. And to the extent that, that somebody breaks in uh, to, uh, to, to your home, it's very likely that they're there to uh, steal the gun that they have found out you own because guns are very valuable and hard to get for criminals. Uh, but that's a very rare occurrence in and of itself. And then the issue is, well, if you're going to have a gun be around for personal protection and be accessible and either loaded or very easily and quickly loaded uh, and not, say, locked away in a hidden gun safe that's very hard to get to for a child or an irresponsible person or an untrained person, if it's in you know range in access, then you're very likely to act, you, you know have it be accessed by an untrained or irresponsible yeah, or too young person. And that gets into the question of regulations. You know, should you have rules requiring a certain kind of lock, a mm-hmm. certain kind right. of safe and so yeah. on? But here's my ultimate position. I don't get why these ads, uh, your man card is reissued and, you know, forces of opposition bow down. I don't see how that 
encourages illegality. Does man card translate to shoot children? Is that what a real man does, as in Sandy Hook? And, and this involved some, some parents from Sandy Hook. Uh, or does the man card idea just refer to masculinity? In other words, yeah, violence is what comes out of the barrel of a gun, but it can be good violence if it's a good cop killing a bad criminal or a homeowner killing a, a burglar. So in what sense do these ads, are they inherently bad and evil and encouraging illegal violence. I mean, if you have a, uh, if you have a, uh, say you had cigarettes and those cigarettes were marketed with the same slogan of, you know, your man card is reissued. Mm-hmm. You might say reasonably that the people who are most swayed, persuaded, affected by appeals to toxic masculinity are, for example, teenagers. Adolescents or pre- even prepubescents, people who don't really understand masculinity yet, who want to define themselves and have to sort of well, stake but, a claim. But kids, and all. kids aren't supposed to be buying guns. Right. I mean, so I, 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 and the illegality would be kids buying and smoking cigarettes or kids buying and using guns. Those two things, if you appeal to uh, sort of the child's brain with Joe Camel or, oh, yeah. man, you're going to be as cool as your older brother. But I don't think the main argument say. is about kids. Or I think the main argument is that adults buying guns okay, so, see the man card reissued and man implies... Uh, an adult. And I, I, I'm interested in your analogy about cigarettes, because yeah. if, for example, and I know we have rules against, you know, Joe Camel, you know, yeah. appealing to kids. Right. But let's just talk about Marlboro aimed at 30 something guys. And the Marlboro man is so cool. Is it should we ban advertisements that make it seem really cool and like you're going to be a real man and you're going to be admired by the ladies and, you know, like in TV and movies, right. you have countless people in some movies smoking like Once Upon a Time yeah. in Hollywood. The, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. and Brad Pitt were smoking every single scene. Yeah. So I mean, this wh- is because and, and yet that's terrible because yes. they're going to get sick and so on. Yes. Why should we criminalize that? Because when we say, you know, your man car is reached, right, we're appealing to traditional notions of masculinity and bound up with traditional and toxic notions of masculinity are glorification of violence. When you have the, the connection, uh, to, to the, the, the concept of manhood and, you know, rugged manhood, and you connect it to a gun, which is inherently, you know, a, 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 a tool for violence, you are glorifying it in the same way, uh, in, in a way that's different than if you were selling deodorant and you said your man card's reissued because it smells like sandalwood. And <laughs> and people look at that. There's no connection to violence at all. But because you're invoking masculinity, manhood, in connection with a deadly weapon, boom, there's the connection. That's why you're you're glorifying violence. And that's why it's dangerous. And it, you're right, it is different. Uh, the cigarettes analogy is good for the underage uh, group, uh, uh, but it's not particularly useful uh, unless you have the guns, which are inherently violent connection. The second slogan, opposition bow down, as I said earlier, deer ain't bowing down. This isn't about hunting. This is about killing people. Opposition, opposition. could be a burglar. That's what I think of. Opposition is an enemy in war. Are you thinking of like a showdown on Main Street in in, uh, the Old West? Nobody says opposition about a a, a random criminal in the street or something. I would say that to a burglar if he was invading my bedroom. (laughs) I'd say forces of opposition bow down and I'd blow him away. Yeah, forces of opposition. Maybe I'd drop the S. It sounds more like they're talking about Antifa or the Taliban. They're talking about it's a war. They're talking about who's your enemy. Whoever your enemy is, you can 
scare them, you can intimidate them, you can kill them, you can make them bow down to you. That's not sports. That's not, you know, uh, just hobbyism, hobbyists, you know, who love guns. Uh, and, and that's not history. That's saying use this weapon to uh, bully, intimidate or kill. And that's definitely glorifying violence. That one's I think, is a slam dunk. The well, man one, the, you got to have the connection. Supreme Court agrees with you. And, yeah. you know, uh, most filthy pinkos. I get it. <laughs> Hey, when we come back, gun question number two. Should parents go to prison when their kids kill with guns? Stick with us. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Conrad. So the second gun question we'd like to address is whether parents should be incarcerated, part of the mass incarceration problem, yes. if their kids kill with guns. So there was recently a New York Times op-ed by a law professor talking about this Michigan case. Um, yeah. Last November, parents of a 15-year-old boy in Michigan um, uh, have been charged with manslaughter. He shot four students to death. The son did. Uh, they're facing involuntary manslaughter charges, uh, up to 15 years in prison. They bought the gun for the son. They oversaw his training. They were involved in leaving it where it was accessible. They concealed from school officials the fact the kid had access to the gun, even though the school told the parents he had violent fantasies. So, Manslaughter is interesting because unlike murder, where you have to prove intent to kill or such a reckless disregard for the likelihood of death, even if you didn't technically intend it, still the malice is implied and therefore it's murder. But with manslaughter, the prosecutors just have to show gross negligence beyond a reasonable doubt, something more than mere carelessness. The jurors have to be convinced that it would have been clear to a reasonable person it was likely that someone could be seriously injured if the parents didn't take these steps. Yeah. Uh, you're comfortable, I, I presume, with these uh, statutes that uh, hold the, the parents' feet to the fire? Yeah. I mean, there are there's a mishmash, a hodgepodge of cases all over the country throughout American history that have been changing as politics changes uh, about strict liability in terms of uh, guns. Uh, abnormally dangerous products and objects often carry with them the concept of strict liability. If you own a gun, you know, and we think guns are inherently abnormally highly dangerous objects, then you might be strictly liable for what harm gets uh, perpetrated by that gun, regardless of what uh, protections uh, and, and safety provisions and precautions you took. In the same way that if you keep a dog, you might get the first bite free before people say in, in California, for example, this that you knew that dog was dangerous because it's bitten before. So then you're strictly liable after that. Or if you own, uh, you know, a, a, a tank of uh, uh, a dangerous chemical, um, but not a particularly dangerous chemical like propane, you know, you have a, a propane tank, you're not strictly liable if that propane tank explodes, as long as you took various, you know, various safety precautions that we decide are reasonable. On the other hand, if you Keep a tiger in your house. You are strictly <laughs> liable, no matter how many fences and cages and spotlights. Hey, worked for and, Mike Tyson in that Hangover yeah, movie. Yeah, armed guards. No matter how many armed guards Mike Tyson has to keep this tiger in the cage, if the tiger somehow gets out and murders someone, he's if strictly Zach liable. Zach Galifianakis wants to hang with that tiger. He's going to do it. Exactly, strict liability. You know, you can say extend that same concept to guns and say, yeah, they're abnormally dangerous objects. They're 
you know, accelerate uh, metal slugs to an incredibly high speed, which frequently tear through human flesh and kill people. So that sounds abnormally dangerous to me in the same way that a tiger is abnormally dangerous. Heck, even water stored in large amounts in precarious situations, like if you have uh, a reservoir on your property uh, or a dam, you are strictly liable if that dam or reservoir fails. So I'm thinking of a slogan, uh, water doesn't drown people, people drown people. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Wait a minute. It's the opposite. Yeah. I mean, this is this is an issue that we have addressed many times in law because we run into dangerous objects all the time. And it's simply a policy decision whether guns fall into that category. That's guns as a product, as an object that people might own. The concept of parental supervision of uh, kids and how what responsibility they have to. I mean, OK, look. Let's be clear. These Michigan parents are so obviously so incredibly negligent on their own that there's no danger in my mind that they get off scot-free. There's no danger that the, they don't get they aren't found liable uh, on their own for all the negligent or worse uh, acts that they did that they committed in you know negligently parenting this kid and putting everyone at risk. And then, boom, the result is a bunch of you know, people. So you're saying if their shot. case winds up as part of the guess the verdict quiz show, you're going to nail the it's going to be a slam dunk. But the okay. question absent the hard question is parent who overall is a good parent and does safe things but happens to have a gun or buy a gun for a kid trains that kid in in a in a in a slightly negligent way and you know isn't perfect in in whatever way and then kid ends up shooting someone as a result of that parent's negligence uh Absent the fact that that this, you know, if, if this if, the, if say we don't think guns are, are, are an issue for strict liability, they're not abnormally dangerous objects. So you're not strictly liable for for whatever happens uh, coming out of the, that gun's ownership and existence. Instead, we just say, look, this guy took a lot of precautions, but his teenager kind of went off the rails or made a mistake or whatever else. We might think, well, parents have an extra special responsibility to protect the world from their potentially dangerous offspring until yeah. that kid's brain is done cooking at age 28 he's kind of the responsibility <laughs> of the parents uh, and we might cut it off at 18 for legal reasons but in reality they're not really done until about 28 uh, everybody thinks no kids aren't done cooking well, until guys four years aren't done than they are. girls are done with about 19 that actually they're totally true. mature yeah, their brains are much better that way but yeah it's a tough question i i don't know i think the the danger you brought up over criminalization and uh, you know mass incarceration that's a consideration that's a real issue the, this idea that we have of uh well the the Everybody thinks the Why not sins- just build a new gun prison? Then we wouldn't have to worry about <laughs> the, overcrowding. The sins of the father should not be, you know, uh, brought down on the head of the son, right? We shouldn't blame people. This is guilt by association. We shouldn't just blame uh, people yeah, the because they're son or, or being uh, visited on the father, yeah. right? But there's more responsibility that direction. Parents do have responsibility to raise their kids right, but it becomes an issue where the government's suddenly telling people how to raise their kids mm-hmm. and how to raise them around guns and what the safe way to do that is. And that's a touchy subject it, for Americans. It, it's very tough to, to know what steps you should take. For example, Michigan does not actually require locking guns at home, but it does make it a crime to do nothing when you know or you should have known your kid is about to shoot people and that is going to govern Seems this like case. A good of policy. few other cases uh, in Indiana uh, just a couple of years ago, a mom there, uh, she's on probation because she didn't 
remove guns from the house after the son threatened to kill students. He did shoot at school. Nobody was hurt, but he did shoot. So she's on probation. And a Washington state dad um, has been convicted of illegally possessing guns after uh, his son killed four people at at, uh, the high school. So uh, all sorts of uh, aspects uh, of safety on this issue. Hey, third and final gun question, Connor. May cities attach strings to gun ownership? And of course, it's a broad question. We right. all recognize just just as with free speech, it's not absolute. Same thing with the Second Amendment. It's not an absolute right. But here's what the San Jose City Council did, and it's kind of controversial just a, a month ago. They voted to force gun owners to carry liability insurance and to pay an annual fee. It's thought to be the first measure of its kind in the United States. A $25 annual fee has to be paid by a gun owner to uh, community groups to be used for firearm safety, education and training, suicide prevention, and domestic violence and mental health services. Now, it's hard to argue against things like that. Those sound like really good things. But a bunch of citizens are challenging this, lawsuits being filed, saying, hey, you can't tax a constitutional right and does nothing to reduce crime. So I don't know how this is going to turn out in I mean, the real connection there, though. But to require somebody who buys a gun to pay money to, you know, help with suicide prevention, as laudable as the goal is, why punish somebody for doing something that the Supreme Court says is a constitutional right? Yeah, I mean, speech is a constitutional right, but we limit people's speech in many ways. The the, the time... Yeah, but but we don't have a swear jar. Congress doesn't say $25 every time you say, dang it. Great point. But this is not a... This is... A, a largely it's a, a liability uh, insurance plus uh, fees for government that, that will be used to fund government action. Right. But in reality, it doesn't actually matter what those fees are used for by the government. It's simply a tax levied on uh, people. Right. If they change the law next year and they say, oh, instead of using it for uh, for firearm safety trainings or whatever, you know, domestic violence survivors, oh, we're going to use it to build high speed trains or a space uh, uh, mission to the moon. It, it doesn't matter. You can you can fund anything you want with your taxes. Uh and it won't change the constitutionality of the law. The issue is really, can you burden a constitutional right? And we burden constitutional rights all the time. We decide that this uh, constitutional right is limited uh, in, by the government in some way. You have to pay to use it. You can only uh, utilize that right in certain places or certain times. But it has to be reasonable and rational and fair, these restrictions on constitutional rights. Yes, absolutely. It, you, you, that, that's what we've decided. The, the real question, obviously, in my mind, is shouldn't we just get rid of the constitutional right to to own a gun, the notion of the Second Amendment being uh, any in any way connected to individual gun ownership for personal protection. But now or you're sport getting ahead of your else. skis, and if you do that, you're going to end up like Sonny Bono. That's true. We wouldn't want that. It's too soon, too soon. But yes, I, I hear you. It's been only been 30 years or whatever, so it's <laughs> definitely still too soon. But the, the not too soon for share. Even assuming that that gun ownership is. Uh, <laughs> don't get that reference. I, I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm oh, too oh, uh, share was married to Sonny Bono. Oh, and okay. they had an unpleasant divorce. Oh. Yeah. That's too bad. Mm-hmm. Chaz was in the middle. Again, don't get that bad. I mean, I, okay, I'll work on right. it. I'll, work okay. on, I'll go Google share and read your Wikipedia entry. Um, but yeah, so uh, to me, even if we assume that gun ownership is and should be a, a, a civil right, a, an absolute right, a constitutionally protected right, um, then we have to start saying, well, can we burden those rights in certain certain ways? And we can. We can say that somebody has to 
pay liability insurance. I mean, everybody knows you have to have liability insurance uh, when you're driving a car around. That means that if you harm somebody and you have no assets or not enough assets, or you, you're hard to collect against because you've taken advantage of good legal structures that make you hard to collect against because you're a smart and savvy rich person, um, then you have to have in a big juicy insurance policy that that person can use to recover from and pay their medical bills and make, you know be made whole for their pain and suffering and everything else. We do that for just driving around to you know Ralph's supermarket and picking up a gallon of milk. Of course, you're driving this huge vehicle around that could theoretically run over somebody. Well, guess what? Guns shoot people. That's even worse than a car. Although, you know, cars kill a ton of more people in America because more people have cars. But th- that's a totally reasonable restriction on somebody's right to own a gun is to say, well, you, if you're going to do a dangerous thing, you better carry insurance so that if you hurt somebody, that person can be easily and, and legally made whole uh, and protected and make our you know society happy and healthier. That seems totally reasonable. Yeah burden this right away and until you can prove this burden should be on the people advocating for you know gun ownership and gun rights that this liability insurance is so prohibitively expensive and there's no reasonable way to make it cheaper so that nobody can own a gun now i might think that's a good idea but if you can prove that then you can prove that these this uh you know this constitutional right to gun ownership is unfairly burdened but until the the insurance is so expensive that no one can get it come on so uh, enough of this heavy stuff, Connor. Are you ready for America's favorite game show? Yeah. Guess the verdict. Yeah, born ready. Born okay. ready. Okay. Well, uh, Johnny Gilbert, uh, tell us about our new contestant. Again, don't Con- get that reference. I, Connor I'm too Oaks. Young. I'm sorry. Who's Johnny uh, Gilbert? Well, thank you, Biff. Uh, Connor is a pearl diver from Yuma, California, <laughs> who knits humorous cummerbunds in his spare time. <laughs> now, here, here's the bonus question. I love before we show. even get to the question, it's great. Uh, who did I steal that joke from? I what don't. Famous comedian. Used, Johnny Carson. Use the line. Pearl you know, Diver. Pearl Diver, blah, blah, blah. It was George Carlin. George Carlin, of course. So here's the deal. I'm going to give Connor uh, the real live facts of a case. He gets to guess the outcome. Are you ready? Born ready. Caroline Parks of Belleville, Guilty. Illinois. Oh, too early. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> right. Uh, Caroline Parks got a sweepstakes entry form in the mail. Nice. And she licked a stamp that was included with the package. She claims her tongue swelled up to twice its normal size. Her heart started beating rapidly, and it felt like if somebody... If my tongue did, I would too. And it felt like somebody was pouring acid on her head. Oh, my God. So Caroline sued, and her expert chemist said the stamp was coated with trichloroethylene, a chemical that can cause nose and throat irritation. What? All right. We're in the courtroom. The jury is about to announce the verdict. Connor, what's your guess? Did Caroline win, or did the nice sweepstake people Great. So now I'm going to be paranoid about the concept of licking stamps (laughs) for the rest of my life. Thanks a lot. Wrap this one up. What are the We're odds? Done. What are the over. odds, right? Yeah. Well, obviously, if you're sending out poison stamps that kill people on contact, boom, you're liable. The question is whether this really does cause, you know, dangerous swelling in an area that could choke you out and kill you or, you know, harm you or whatever. And she gets an expert, brings them into court. That's how plaintiffs recover is they get an expert that says, yeah, this can be dangerous. Now, if it's dangerous to one in a trillion people, she's the only person on planet Earth. But that's not what the expert said. The expert said this can cause that. So, yeah, I'm on the on the jury. She wins some money. I'm guessing that the sweepstakes people had an expert good of their lawyer. own yeah, pretty good because, yeah. in fact, the sweepstakes company won. No! It was, it was held that Caroline uh, had an especially sensitive tongue. <sighs> One in a trillion, now, sure. This, of course, relates to a concept you're very familiar with tort law, yep. the you know, eggshell plaintiff and yes, so on. Absolutely. Apparently, her tongue was not analogous to a, a very sensitive eggshell that had a crack or two in it Poor already. Catherine. Connor, I am sure you're going to do better next time. 
There's always uh, another show. There's you still, always another week. You still are batting better than 500. You. You're way ahead of Ty Cobb. Way ahead of Ty Cobb. That's good. Average. That's good. That does it for us. I hope everybody has a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time on Too Many Lawyers. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.